So we're going to get right into it. Um, I've been pastoring now for 15 years in Hawaii. Prior to that, I, I worked 14 years in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. And um, um, that's when I was involved in all the dot-com stuff. Um, uh, I worked for three $1 billion companies in software sales. Uh, I, I started out as a programmer and a systems engineer and then moved to account executive. And then I became a director, vice president. And then eventually I had my own company. I was the CEO. And so I did all that stuff. And during that time, I, I was also pastoring because I got ordained by the Assemblies of God in 1990. And so I was bivocational. I planted my own church in the Bay Area. I was a youth pastor first for somebody else. But I, I, was, uh, I planted my own church. And life was really good. And then um, God started stirring up the nest and all that and, and said, it's time to go completely full-time. So I want you to pastor this 45-year-old church in Honolulu. And uh, that did not appeal to me at all. Okay? For one thing, in my job, I... I went to Hawaii every month for a week at a time. I did that for 14 years. So I was thinking, why would I want to move to Hawaii when, when now I get to go there and the company pays for everything? If I move there, I have to pay for everything, you know? Like, why would I want to do that? Secondly is because I, by this time, I had already gotten my master's of theology degree from Fuller Theological Seminary. Peter Wagner was my main instructor. And he taught me that old churches don't grow much. So I'm thinking, 45 years old? You can't be kidding. You know, like, like, you want me to give up my career and all that for a 45-year-old church that's not going to move, right? And, uh, but God spoke to me. He said that if you give up everything, this church will be a world-changing church. And it really took a lot of faith for me to believe it. It's a whole story. Um, that's why you have to um, get this book, Missions Power, so you can learn the story. But there's a lot of good stuff in it. In fact, Peter Wagner does endorse it. But also, just recently, this is my second edition now. So this was not available three years ago. The general superintendent of the Assemblies God, Dr. George Wood, who's a super smart guy, got two doctor degrees. He wrote this. If it were in my power, I would have every pastor read Missions Power by Terry Wong. He wrote that as endorsement after he read my book. And then he wasn't kidding because actually this night I fly out to Springfield. I'm meeting with some of his marketing people to talk about the Assemblies God selling my book now. And, and really making a, a nationwide, maybe even a worldwide thing. They're talking about translations and all that stuff. And, like, I'm just humbled by that. So if you want it, $15 afterwards. I'll even sign it. And like Pastor Rod always says, once you sign it, it's a million dollars, right? So it'll be, and all the proceeds go to mission. So it's all good, right? Everybody wins and all that stuff, okay? But in, in the book, I, I, t- I tell my story and all that. And plus, even today's message, um, there's some, some, some stuff that has never been published before. That's in here, like theology stuff is in here, okay? Because I got the blessing from my professors, all that stuff. But um, so, so, so I had agreed to, to pastor the church in Honolulu, and now 15 years later, it really is a world-changing church. I mean, it was just a real special uh, uh, event. I had to give up everything. I mean, really, the salary they gave me was not even one-tenth of what I was making, but it was a, a step of faith. But see, when I was in San Francisco pastoring my church, um, there was a guy who attended my church, and so I, I heard a lot of inside story. Any of you heard of Michael Chang? Michael Chang, okay? Some hands going up, okay? He was the number two tennis player in the world at one time, okay? Chinese guy, Chang, right? Michael Chang, okay? Now you, now you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 okay? He was number two. Well, well, his brother used to attend my church. So I, I heard a lot of the stories, the real story, okay? And so um, I remember back in 1989... I was watching the French Open. I was watching on TV because, you know, all Grand Slams are shown on TV. And here was Michael Chang. At that time, he was 17 years old. He was ranked number 15 in the world. And, um, but Mac, John McEnroe just had this thing about him. Because, see, uh, Michael Chang was a Christian. And he was always witnessing on the tour. 
and Michael and, and John Macro was so mad at him. So will you keep that religion to yourself? I mean, it was like that. And so, so even as a broadcaster, he, he a reporter, he he never gave him much time and space and all that stuff. But Michael Chang, he was a he was a crazy Christian. He did crazy things. In fact, um, he even uh, had a Bible study with Andre Agassi, and Agassi got saved in that Bible study. But but then he you know, went off again, you know. But but at least he made a decision once. Okay. But, but that's the kind of guy he was, okay? 17 years old, just a, just a boy, and yet so radical for Jesus. And so here he was, ranked, uh, seated number 15, and guys ahead of him, seated higher, included Jimmy Connors. He was, he was seated number 9 at that tournament. Uh, Max Vlander, who was the defending champion, he won in 1988. He was, ranked, he was seated 4th. Andre Agassi, I think he was seated 5th. Uh, I think it was fifth in, in that tournament. And then, of course, you got the, the giant Yvonne Lendl, seated number one, ranked number one in the world, winner of the French Open three times already. And you had Stefan Edberg, who also Grand Slam champion, who was seated number two. So, of course, the task was, was, was just daunting. Well, in the second round, he played Pete Sampras. And, of course, see, Pete Sampras is a Hall of Famer, you know, uh, used to have to hold the most number of Grand Slams until Federer, you know, passed him. But um, Michael Chang beat him in the second round. Then in the fourth round, he meets the monster, the giant, Ivan Lando. Now, right before he played him, he was watching on TV something very distressing. He turned on the, the TV, and that's when the whole Tenement Square massacre was happening. 1989. I've been there many times because, you know, we've planted all these churches in China. I, I, I've been there. I've seen it. And uh, it, it, it's this great big courtyard area. And here were these students. They were just picketing. They were just demonstrating why they don't agree with some of the, the, the government actions and policies. Well, in China, it's different from the United States. You know, here, you know, we express our displeasure and the government just ignores us, right? And, uh, and CNN, CNN news has more stuff to report on, right? You know, but in China, what did they do? They sent tanks into the, into Tenement Square. They, they had soldiers start shooting all the students just to teach them a lesson because that's how communism works. And, but Michael Chang was watching this. And he was so saddened. He's thinking, those are my people. And to see his own people do that to themselves, he couldn't bear it. And he said, Lord... I want, to, I want to be a voice for you. Can you do something special? Because I'm on, everybody is watching this tournament because it's, it's, it's international, it's worldwide because it's a grand slam, second grand slam of the year. So do something special. So here he was. He played Ivan Lendo. Ivan Lendo crushed him in the first set. Ivan Lendo crushed him in the second set. So then he gets back to his chair and now John McEnroe, he's like, ah, going to be straight set victory that little teenage boy's going to you know met his match right you know cuz he doesn't like him and so so but michael chang is sitting in the chair and his brother was telling me the story he said that he bowed his head and started praying he said lord what is happening in china is so bad there has to be a voice that will stand up and talk about you instead cuz right now the world's thinking about china and how 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 politically strong the chinese government is trying to act and, and that's not right, because you're God. You're the Lord. Do something special. Let me win. If you let me win, I'm going to speak up for you. So he gets back out there. Third set. He wins that set. Surprise you, Lendo. Surprise the crowd. Surprise Macro. What happened there? Oh, that's okay. Fourth set's coming. Fourth set. He wins that one too. Then the fifth set. Everybody's just 
on Michael Chang's side now, because here's a 17-year-old Chinese guy beating the giant, the number one player in the world. And so Michael Chang starts doing all sorts of silly things. Instead of serving overhead, underhanded serve, if some of you remember that. Okay? I remember. I was watching. Whoa! Why, why are you doing that? And, and it took Lendo by surprise, and, and he didn't know what to do with it. And then when it was Lendo's turn to serve, Michael Chang gets right up to the serve line. Not the baseline. Gets to the serve line. And I remember, I even saw it, because the camera was up, and Mike Macro was going, what a stupid kid. And Lendo just shakes his head like, I'm going to gonna crush you. I'm going to ace you right in your head. He double faulted. I still remember that. He couldn't even get the serve in. It freaked him out. And Michael Chang. Michael Chang won the fifth and final set and beat Yvonne Lendo. But that was only the fourth round. Then came the quarterfinals. He won that one. Then the semifinal. He won that one. Now he's in the finals with the number two player in the world, Stefan Edberg. He's up by two sets to one. And again, Michael Chang sits down on the chair during the, the changeover. And then he says, God, you've brought me this far. It's only two more sets to win. I've already won, won so many sets this tournament. Just two more. Just give me the strength. I was, because if I win this one, I get the microphone. And I'm going to talk about you. That's what I'm going to do, God. So he gets back up there, four set. He beats Edberg. Fifth set, he wins that one. And McElroy couldn't believe it because earlier he said, if Michael Chang wins the French Open, he'll pull down his shorts at center court. <laughs> so, so, he's supposed to get on center court to interview Michael Chang with his shorts down. But he didn't do it. Somebody else went there. You know, chicken, chicken, McEnroe, chicken. <laughs> Anyways, so, so the microphone's given to Michael Chang. And he talks about what's happened in China. And he said, this victory is for my Lord Jesus Christ because he's the only right king of this world. And he gave glory to God right on center stage, the court, and, and, and he, he followed that up. Hallelujah. And then, and then yeah, amen. Hallelujah. Now, I usually don't like to use too many athletes as examples because I've learned in the past not to, because sometimes I talk about some athlete, and then they fall away, and then they're like, oh, man, you know. Well, he hasn't fallen away. After, after his tennis career ended, you know, the highest he got was, was number two in the world. He got into the Tennis Hall of Fame. He went to seminary because he was invited when, during the Beijing Olympics. He was invited to be a spokesperson. And he went to seminary, got his master's of theology degree, just so that for that one occasion, he can witness about Jesus Christ to the whole world. And that's what he did at the Olympics. Hallelujah. Today, he's a coach of Kei Nishikori, who's one of the top 10 uh, uh, players in the world. He's Japanese and, um, you know, keep it Asian, you know, whatever, you know. But, but um, that guy is a 100% on fire, crazy Christian for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And, and I look at him. So much pressure on him, and yet he'll be crazy for Jesus. And I wonder, here at Livingstone's Church this morning, do we have any crazy Christians in the house? Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Are there Christians here who will do crazy things for Jesus? Yes? yes. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, your, your pastor has been, has started a series on Daniel. He asked me to cover Daniel 3. And in this chapter, we will learn about, and here's my title, the character of crazy Christians. The character of Christians. So we're going to learn about your character, because you, you always say you're a crazy Christian. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I ask, Lord, that you anoint it right now as I lay hands on it. And, Lord, let there be a power that will go forth, O oh God. Lord, may I step aside so it would be the Holy Spirit that would feed, inspire, and challenge your people right now. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 So point number one, the character of crazy Christians is courageous. Courageous. Crazy Christians are courageous. See, Nebuchadnezzar had built a statue. The, the dream thing was over, okay? That, that was um, uh, the last message. Now he builds a statue to be worshipped. Everybody bows down to it. Everybody worships it. If nothing else, out of fear for the king. But there's three crazy Christians that would not bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They know what the law says. They know what might happen, but they will not bow down. So the king takes action. So we, we pick it up in verse 13 of chapter 3. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Sounds scary, huh? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the crazy Christians, replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Wow. Just imagine. This is like center stage. This is like Michael Chang, French Open. The whole world's watching because Babylon at the time was the world power. Here he's got them lined up. Shadrach, Bisha, and Abednego. The kingdom is watching. Everybody, all the wise men, everybody's there. Family, the, 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 the fellow Jews, they're all there. And the king is talking to them. Says, you got a chance. Here's a statue. One bow, that's all it takes. Just bow. We're all good. And these guys, the character showed. Because when you're under stress, it's easy to stand up for Jesus when there's no stress. It's easy when you talk to people who want to hear about Jesus. But what about the people who don't want to? When they don't want you to stand up. When they want you to bow down to their ways. When the politician, I'm sorry. When the politician says it's this way. Follow this law. I've changed the Supreme Court. You got to do it. I know it's not in the Bible, but you got to follow it. What do you do then, Christian? Crazy Christian. What are you going to do? Here are the three. That's, that's, the, that's the moment right there. And what do they do? They said, we do not need to defend ourselves. Wow. See, that tells, that tells me something about their character. They know who they are in Christ. They know it. Because if he's for them, who can be against them? If Jesus is for you, and he always is, then who can be against you? But we forget that. When fear grips you, when you're, in the, when you're backed into a corner, you, you forget that kind of stuff. 
But that's why Jesus gives us those reassuring words. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's still true today. It's still true when you go home. It's still true when you're at work. It's still true when you're in the supermarket. When the persecutors are at your door. It is still true. He's still there with you. They know who they are in Christ. Then they said, the God we serve is able to deliver us. They fully trust God. They knew that no matter what happened, because they've seen it time and time again. Remember, that's the theme in Deuteronomy. Remember what God has done. How many blessings, how many times he's delivered you. He has not stopped delivering you. How many times has he healed you? He has not stopped. How many times he saved you? He has not stopped. Remember, remember, remember. That's what he wants you to do. They trusted God because they remembered. And then they said, but even if he does not. Now, I don't hear too many Christians saying that. If my prayers are answered, God, I still love you. Am I, it, 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 I'm hurting so bad. <laughs> but if you don't heal me, I'm just going to cough to you in praise. I never hear any Christians say that. I will only praise you if I don't cough. I will only come to church when you answer my prayer this week. But if you don't, I ain't coming to church. I'm not going to read your Bible anymore. I'm not going to pray. That's not trusting in him. See, these guys, even if he does not, we will not worship the image because they have 100% faith in their Savior. Total faith. See, do you know who you are in Christ? Do you trust God? Do you have faith? I mentioned that we planted churches in India. There's 20 church planters that we have sent to plant churches in India, and now there's 20 churches there. Um, some of them are as small as 30 people. Some are up to 200 people now. Okay? Um, but in India, there's a lot of persecution going on. Okay? Um, the news doesn't tell you that because... If some of you have done this, you have a problem with, with your computer, you have a problem with your, your, your cell phone sometimes, uh, you call that 800 number, you don't get an American answering, right? Somebody with an Indian accent, right? Because it's, it, the 800 number sends you to India because the salary is a lot less. So you got the Microsoft, the Oracles, all these big company uh, uh, computer associates, they got their support center in India. Well, if America found out what really is going on in India... Even our president, who doesn't always make the right decision, might make this one. He might cut that, 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 that business off. Because in India, if you don't own your own property, the Hindu extremists, or anybody for that matter, if they persecute Christians, the government would do nothing about it. So what we did, Calvary Assembly of God, what we did was that we bought a piece of land and built a center. We called it a Calvary City of Refuge. Okay, Calvary, because it's the name of a church, city of refuge, right from the Bible. So it can be a place of refuge, because we own it. That's own land, own property. So that our church planters can go there, retreat there. It's also, we also have an orphanage there, and, and, but they can go there, for, you know, but they need to go back out in the field again, because that's where the churches are. I mean, you know, we don't have 20 churches in that center, because we've got to get out there, right? And, um, it, it, and, and the area is called Jagdapur. It's right near, near the center part of India. And the way to go there for me is I fly from Honolulu to Tokyo, Tokyo to Singapore, Singapore to Mumbai, which is one of the major cities of, of India. Then from there, I take a local aircraft to Raipur. And then from there, they drive me for a, almost three hours into Jagdapur. It's a long trek. Okay? Well, what happened was that our, our main contact there had, had, had 
contacted me and said that um, things are going really well, uh, uh, ministry-wise, but there's a lot of persecution. There's a lot of discouragement. Many of the plant, church planters, they, they need some uplifting. Is there any way that you can hold a retreat for them? I said, let's do it. Okay, you organize it, I'll be there. And so I flew there, got there, and, and um, our, our, our retreat center is probably half the size of this, this, this sanctuary. And so I was, I was up on stage preparing my notes, getting ready to, to start the first session. And then one of our church planters, okay, he's walking down, but he's walking kind of funny, okay? He's walking like this, side to side. And I was like, what, what is he doing? Okay, because I know he can walk normally, okay, but he walks side to side, and he's talking to me. Okay, and I say, "Hey, how you doing, bro?" And he says, "Oh, you know, I'm, I'm up to I'm to about sixty people now." I said, "Oh, that's great! You know, you haven't been church planning that long. Sixty people—that's great. You got sixty people. Yeah, it's been good. The numbers and all that. But just a couple months ago, oh, really rough." I said, "What? What? What was so rough? Well, those Hindu extremists broke into my home and 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 one and started beating me up. And then one guy brings a a a, a, a large concrete block and, and puts it down on the floor." And then they put my head on it. And then somebody else comes in with another concrete block, same size, and lifted it up like a guillotine. And then they said, renounce Jesus right now. I wouldn't do it. Because I'm not going to renounce Because I'm not going to give up Jesus. Then they took that concrete block and smashed it down my head. And then they asked me again, now, are you going to renounce Jesus or another one's coming? I said, Jesus, my Lord. And he smashed it again and down and oh, down and down until he's standing like this telling me the whole story. Now he turns around. The whole right side of his skull got reshaped. It's totally flattened out because of the constant beating of the concrete block. And I, I'm looking at this. I'm going, I'm so sorry. Do you want to take some time off for ministry? No. There's more people to save. I gotta get out there. This is too many. This is nothing. I count it a joy because I get to suffer like Jesus, and not even like Jesus, a little bit like Jesus. And I count it a joy, just like Apostle Paul said that too. He counted a joy to suffer for his Lord. And here was one of my church planters I sent into the field. And he's telling me this. You know, I don't know what I would do. Well, actually, I do know what I would do. You know, many, some of you know I, I'm a martial artist. I, I qual- <laughs> yeah. 1988, I qualified for the Olympic team in Taekwondo. I would show all these persecutors why I did. I would have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I would have done that. But he didn't. Because he doesn't know Kung Fu. Doesn't know Taekwondo. Kickboxing. But I saw a courage within him. Like even in the midst of the severe trial and tribulation, which most of us have never gone through. I mean, this is a mission church. And so it's just like, just like mine. Be thankful that you're on this side of the mission field. You get to sin. Huh? When you fill up those faith promises, right? You do faith promises here? Oh, man, you got to do... I'm going to talk to Pastor Ron. Oh, you don't do faith promises. I was teaching Pastor Rod that one. Anyways, well, when you give to missions, how's that? Okay? I'll tell you. You do faith promises, you're going to multiply. Okay? We'll save that for another day. 
but you give to missions. That money goes to support those people in the field. I mean, hallelujah for your pastor and, and, and Pastor Ron and Pastor Dick and all the other people who are, who are out there in Cambodia right now. But I wonder how many people are in the forefront of the enemy's attack and they're still doing it. See, I used to hear these stories about China, Iron Curtain, all that. And I was like, oh, that's so sad and all that. Until my own people were put behind the Iron Curtain. When my own church planter is subject to this kind of abuse. And yet, they still, unlike some Americans, oh, they laughed that I'm a Christian, so I'm not going to witness anymore. You called that persecution? You called that suffering? You got to be kidding. That's why we, every Christian needs to go on a missions trip. And really see what's out there. Because you know what? We only make 5% of the world. Do you know that? We only make a 5%. The 95% is out there and they don't live like us. They don't enjoy the luxuries like we do. They're suffering out there. And when we send missionaries out there, they live like them. They should live like them, actually. And they're going through this kind of stuff. Courage rises up. See, you're a crazy Christian. Do you have that kind of courage? Because the... The character of my church planter, who is a crazy Christian, is courageous. Point number two. The character of crazy Christians is crucified. Is crucified. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Paul is saying here, Jesus was physically crucified, but I'm crucified in here. That means no to my flesh. That means no to my desires. Like, I, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to die to self. See, your character will develop through problems and trials. Your character needs to be crucified. Romans 5, 3 to 4 says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us in develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character Strengthens our confident hope of salvation. See, so many of us want to be like Jesus. But you know how we go, th- how we become like Jesus? We go through problems and trials, like this passage is saying. Because then we develop endurance, just like Jesus has it. Then we develop strength of character, which Jesus has. Then we have confident hope of salvation, which Jesus has. How about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Just a short time ago, They free Nebuchadnezzar from his dream prison. Remember that sermon? Okay. I mean, he he really was stressing out. He had a dream. He can't even remember it, let alone interpret it. Right? It was stressing him out. You know, hey, everybody, astrologers, hey, the magicians, come, 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 sorcerers, tell me what it was. He was stressing out. He was in his own little prison. Because if you don't know something and you're stuck on finding out, it bugs you. Right? Right? You're, you're sitting, having dinner with somebody and, and on the tip of tongue you're about to say, I, I, I don't remember. And, then, and it bugs you. And then later on, middle of the night, you remember. You have to call everybody. Hey, I remember what it was. Right? You, you know what I'm trying to talk about. Well, well, that's what Nebuchadnezzar was going through here. He was in his own prison. And yet now, he sends the ones who freed him. I mean, it's really Daniel who told the, the, the vision. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a prayer meeting. They were a part of that too. Now they're thrown into their prison. And in verse 19, it says... Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Man, I'm mad at you guys. I promoted you guys. You're like right-hand people. And now you won't bow down just a little bit. Just one, one knee is good enough, and you won't even do it. You, you 
making me look bad. For that, heat the furnace seven times hotter. I remember, I read this a while back, and I was thinking, what difference does that make? Hot and hotter are hot enough. (laughs) You know what I'm trying to say? Like, does it make logical sense? So then, because it bugged me, and like a seminary student, I was and still am, because now I'm trying to be like Dr. Ron and get my doctor degree as well. In fact, I'm on my dissertation too, by the way. I'm working on that. But anyways, oh, it's a lot of work. Don't, don't, don't. It is hard to work. <laughs> anyways, I had to find out as a seminary student. Okay, so I went through all these commentaries, and no commentary explained why the furnace was heated seven times hotter. So, like a good student, I asked my professor. I said, hey, how come it's, it's seven times hotter? And he said, uh, 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 you're not a master's program student anymore. When you were, I would tell you the answer. But now you're a doctorate. So we don't tell doctorate students. You have to find out yourself and come back and check with us. And I'm thinking, you don't know the answer, do you? <laughs> you, you <laughs> that's why, right? So I did some more research, and this is what I discovered. A typical furnace back then would burn at a temperature of between two to 300 degrees. That's good enough to burn hay, straw, and wood, because that's what they used the furnace for back then. But to refine gold, you need a furnace seven times hotter, because... The melting point of gold is exactly 1,945 degrees. Or let's just round it off, 2,000 degrees. 2,000 degrees. By the way, it's in here. Because I went to my professor. I told him, he asked me, that's really good. You better publish it before I do. That's, that's what I did. Okay, it's in here. What am I talking about here? This story is not about the gold in Nebuchadnezzar's statue. This is talking about you and me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are representing you and me. We're trying to be faithful to God. We're crazy Christians doing the God thing. And yet, God allows us to be in a furnace that's seven times hotter. Why not just normal heat? I mean, why don't I just go through the problems that my non-Christian friends go through? I can handle that. Right? Because theirs is not that severe. You notice that? Christians' problems are worse than the non-Christian problems. You notice that? And there's a spiritual reason. The devil doesn't care about a non-Christian. They're, they're going to hell anyway. That's the bigger pain later. Right now, if he makes it too painful, they might walk out of this type of lifestyle. But instead, we Christians got, get it worse. And so when you look at the non-Christians, give me that one, you know. But no, God just says, you're not hay, straw, and stubble. You are gold. That's what the Bible says. We're like pillars of gold. That's what the Bible tells us. And here's the thing. This is in my book too. Gold is found in ores in the earth. When the miners find it, they take the gold out. Just like we, as Christians, used to be in the world, in the earth. Then, hallelujah, some missionary evangelist, crazy Christian, comes along and pulls pulls us out of the world. And the Holy Spirit... Brings us to Jesus. But when you get saved, I have yet to meet one Christian that's perfect on the day of salvation. 
I've, I met some, I've seen some miracle stories where some, all of a sudden, don't want to drink anymore. Right? The, the alcoholic addiction goes away. I've seen that. I've seen smokers. When you get saved, don't want to puff on the cigarette anymore. I've seen that. But most of the time, that's not the case. And even if I've seen those stories, there's other issues that still, I mean, they still get angry. Right? They still gossip. You know, they still get jealous. Right? There's still stuff there. The same thing. When you take the gold out, there's still impurities in it. And you can shine it. You can try to file it away. You can't get it out. It's only one way. You put it in heat, 2,000 degrees, so that the gold can melt. And, oh, can you imagine if you were the gold? That's painful to melt. But that's when the impurities separate. That's when the imperfection separates. And what remains is refined gold. And that's what Jesus is trying to do with each one of us. Why are we going to fire the seven times harder? Because he wants to make you like him. Hallelujah. So don't. When you're in the furnace, don't ask Jesus, take me out. No, the job's not finished yet. Only some of the impurities taken out. Don't ask to be taken out. Ask that he would be there with you. That he would never leave you, never forsake you. He'll oversee. He'll be the refiner. He'll take the fire and purify if you allow him to. But so many of us, oh, when when when, when the tough gets going, the tough gets running. Huh? Yeah, we don't stay in long enough. And that's why some of us, we have problems with, with issues, with, with addictions, with ha- mind stuff, th- thoughts, lust, all these things. Because we don't allow the Lord to work that in us. But Pastor Terry, you don't understand. This sickness, this disease I've had. I can't stand for very long. I mean... Oh, it really hurts. You gotta be kidding. You want me to last through this pain? For how much longer? Do you know how long I've lasted already? Nobody else goes through this. The pain I feel in my back, my joints, my ulcer stomach, my, 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 my headache that never goes away. 18 years. You gotta be kidding. Easy for you to preach it, but have you been through it? You don't know what I'm going through. Yeah, that's seven times harder. And if you will last, hallelujah, the Lord will make sure there is a way out. That's what the Bible says. There's, oh, he, there's no temptation has overcome man. There will be a way out. But, but you don't know. That person has gossiped, told bad things about me, put me down, said I'm a zero, and then I'm nothing. And that was my father. That was my grandmother. That was my teacher. Pastor Terry. That was a leader in the church. And you want me to take that? You want me to go to encounter and forgive? You want me to go and do a proxy prayer? You got to be kidding. You don't know what pain I'm going through. <sighs> Pastor Terry, what do you know about finances? <sighs> you made the six digit salary when you were in San Francisco. <sighs> you know what it's like. When I don't even know where my meal is coming from. You don't know whether there's even going to be a government paycheck. You don't know, I mean, a paycheck, a check. You, you know, and, and for me to have to beg, for me to have to go out the street, for me to go into the garbage bins and pick up these garbage to eat from. You don't know what I go through. And you want me to trust God? You want me to get saved and then trust God over that? You can't be kidding. I can't take that seven times hotter. Give me cooler heat. Then I'm sorry. The gold's not melting. 
I'm sorry. The gold's going to stay tarnished. I'm sorry. That gold will never look like something that will shine Jesus' light from you. You see, we have to go through it. Jesus said, be a good cheer. Don't be surprised by what trials and tribulation come your way. But be of good cheer because I've overcome. And because I won, you can win too. Hallelujah. See, some of you, you came into church today and you've been going through that seven times hotter fire. And you can't even talk to somebody because you're thinking that person that won't understand. I hate these Christian pat answers. I hate it when they say, oh, I know what you're going through. You do not. Let me tell you, maybe, maybe nobody in this church knows, but this one up in heaven says we have a great high priest. Hallelujah. He sympathizes with our everything that we've gone through because he's been through it too. We're not worshiping man. I'm sorry, we're not even worshiping a pastor. We're worshiping Jesus Christ. Because see, who else was in the furnace? Who else was in the furnace? The Bible says in verses 24 to 25, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was very surprised and stood up in a hurry. He said to his leaders, did we not throw three men who were tied up into the fire? See, he looks in. There's a, there's a window. One, two, three, four. Four. That is true, king. He said, look, I see four men loose, not tied. Did we tie them? How come, how come the fire burned the rope and not them? What's going on? And walking about in the fire without being hurt. I've never seen this before. Because the soldiers earlier, the fire seized them and burned them. They're in the fire and nothing's going on. And the fourth one looks like a son of the gods or the son of God. Let me tell you, when you're going through that fire, when it's just seven times hotter, so now things are happening. There's a transformation going on. There's an encounter going on. There's a deliverance going on. And you're in the heat of it. It's painful. Jesus is the fourth man that's there with you. Hallelujah. It's not just some promise in the Bible. It's fact. He will be there. Never leave you. Never forsake you. He's right there. His hand's on you. He's carrying you. Hallelujah. You know the footprint thing? He's the footprint that's carrying you. And you already can't walk. But that's his love for you. That's how much he wants you to rise up like an army. Hallelujah. Like we sang earlier. So that you can be sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. Woo! Jesus will be there with you. And you will be unbound and unharmed. Jesus. Hallelujah. Many years ago, when I was in the business world, I was... um, I was a top sales executive on our sales team in our region. I was the number two sales executive worldwide. And so I brought in a lot of revenue. I made a lot of money. And my vice president was really happy because his, my numbers rolled up to his numbers. And so he was getting big bonus checks and all that. And so during one sales meeting, he decided he was going to do something spontaneous. He said, you know, everybody, you all owe your jobs to one guy here. Because of his sales, we all have a job. Mine. You know, and you guys, systems engineers, without the sales, we could not afford to hire you and have you do all the technical support and, de- and the demos and everything. 
and I want to recognize them today. Okay, no other region is doing this, but we're the top region right now. I want to do it. I want to ask Terry Wong to come up. And I came up, and then he gave me a samurai sword. A real one from Japan with my name etched into it. Okay, for being the top guy. Okay, and everybody clapped and all that. Well, almost everybody. Almost everybody clapped. I sat down, but there was one woman. She was fuming. See, I worked in San Francisco. She worked in Sacramento. Okay? I got all the, the, the big companies in the Bay Area. She got the state of California. She hated it. You know, because there's a long sales cycle when you work with government and all that. She hated it. Okay? I'm getting all the sales. She's not. I'm getting all the, 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 the awards. She's not. And she's all jealous and all that. You know? And then, then some of us, we go through that too. We're working. And some, you're trying to do right. And I never flaunted it. I never, you know, in fact, if anything, I'm the one that's asking her to lunch. I'm the one that's trying to, you know, but, but no, no, she didn't want to have anything to do with me. And that, that's fine. That's fine, you know. And, and she was just fuming. And then a few months later, my, my boss uh, resigned. He got offered CEO of another company. They promoted her. The senior vice president re- de- uh, um, uh, promoted her. Of course, then my buddies go, how come? How come? And you're asking the senior vice president, Terry Wong should be, is he next in line? He's got all the numbers and all that. I know, but his numbers are too good. If we promote him, we lose his numbers. The next person taking his place can't sell like him because it's that Chinese stuff, you know. You know, you got to keep him there. <laughs> Whatever. Anyways, so we keep him there. But this other person... You know, she's got great management skills. She's organized and all that because you have to be to work with state government. I think it would be better for her to be the vice president now. So she got promoted. Now I'm reporting to her. Now it's... (laughs) And she made life like hell for me. Nothing I did was ever right. I still brought in the sales and that's why she couldn't do too much to me. But then about, about two months later, she wrote this memo and handed it to me. She said, in the memo, it says, you have 30 days to find another job or we fire you. And, she, and, and, and the list of reasons was so stupid. Like, you come in half an hour after everybody else. That's not being a good team player and example. Well, I also drive an hour and a half into the office, and it takes a while, and I have to go across the Bay Bridge that was always busy and all that in San Francisco. You know, and that was one of the reasons. Another one is that, you know, we have to submit our, our, our call logs and all that. She says, everybody else submits them on Thursday. You submit them on Friday and sometimes even Saturday morning. She doesn't look at them until Monday anyways. But she put that down. And, and she got the, vice, the senior vice president behind it. And that was a real low time for me. Because, you know, I thought I was doing everything well. I won all the awards and all that stuff. And now I get this. So I was in the ministry as well. I actually took the time to just uh, do church for a while. And just be a pastor and grow, grow the church. And then, and then I, I, I had my feelers out there and got another job and, and, and joined another billion-dollar company. And, and, it, and eventually, they made me vice president. And, um, and during that time, I actually had a chance to, to witness to a secretary who was raped when she was 17 years old. And um, she came up to me and said, I, I heard that you were a martial arts instructor. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And then she says, may I have private lessons? I said, what, why? She said, well, I was raped. When I was 17, my parents were going to divorce at the same time. There's nobody to turn to. I didn't finish high school. And all I can be is a secretary. And, and um, I always wonder if I knew martial arts, if I could have done something differently. 
And during that time, I had a chance to witness. I mean, I took her, I, I gave her private lessons and all that. And, and, and there's a reason why. why, why and she says, and, and all the time, guys are always taking advantage of me because she was a beautiful blonde and, 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 and you know, uh, and guys just took advantage of her. Well, I started teaching her. And I, and I remember, you know, because I had my own gym and everything, right? You know, I remember uh, the punching bag, right? I would say, okay, you hit it. You just hit it like, like and she was really going for it, you know? And I'd go, why are you punching so hard? Because that's a rapist. That's a rapist. I said, oh, I'm glad I'm not the rapist. You know, look at that, you know, punching like that, right? And then one day, she calls me. I was in my, I was in my office, and, and, and she says, Terry, it works. What works? The stuff you taught me. Well, yeah, I saw the punching bag. No, 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 live. What's going on? She said, I went to Long's Drugs. And I was there just reading one of the magazine, and this guy, you know, she's like five, three years old. She, uh, this guy, about six feet tall, came up and put his hand on her rear and then walked away and she got this is so unfair oh because i look like this guys think they can they can abuse me like this and then he comes back again leaves his hand there this time so then she remember one thing i taught her the block and the punch okay she, like that right and then she, she got herself into the martial arts position there's blood on her hand not from her not her blood blood from his jaw he's holding his jaw and he took off See, I told you, this preaching for the women today. Amen. She calls me up and says, it worked. I says, so what happened then? Well, he took off, and what did it do for you? I feel like I can do anything now. And up to that point, she had never held a healthy relationship because she didn't know how to. She didn't trust the guys and all that. It ter- totally changed her around. And then she said, may I go to your church? I said, really? You're such a nice guy. You trained me privately. You could have taken advantage of me any time. You have no girlfriend. You're not married. Any other guy would have done it. You were always decent. You were, you know, I mean, you just, you just, you know, you, you taught me and everything. And now you instilled this new confidence in me. I don't think it's just you. I think it's what's in you. I said, that's right. It's Jesus. She came to church and she got saved. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. And then, when she got married, she met a good guy, got married. She asked me to be the bouncer at the wedding. Just so <laughs> Because she told me, don't let any of my ex-boyfriends come here. Okay, no, no problem, no problem. No, but see, oh, oh and, and to finish off, so I'm vice president of this new company now. So my secretary is telling me that today I've got a number of interviews. Okay, so at 9 o'clock, I did mine. 10 o'clock, a woman knocks on the door, comes in, and it's her. She came for an interview because she got fired from the old job because she didn't have the Terry Wong numbers to back her up. And now when she looked at me, she went, oh, boy. I said, shall we still do the interview? And she said, uh-uh. She walked out. But, you know, there's a reason. There's a reason. God used it so I can lead the secretary to the Lord with a whole new confidence in life, which leads to my last point. I'll make it really fast because I know time upon us. Point number three, the character of crazy Christians is confident. Is confident in Christ, especially. In verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. They trusted in him, the king said. It's unbelievable when you have a non-Christian making comments like that. They trusted in him, God. 
and are willing to give up their lives. They were confident in Christ. Let me tell you, when we have that kind of confidence, we can face anything. Bring on that fire that's seven times hotter. Devil, come on, you loser, because I'm just going to grow from it. Bring on those trials and temptations because I'm going to get mature. I'm going to endure. I'm going to grow. I'm going to be more like Jesus Christ because he won on the cross. I will win too in Jesus' name. That's the confidence. Walk out of here, church, with confidence. Go into this week with confidence because you know who is for you, who can be against you then. So what's your character this morning, crazy Christians? Is it courageous? Is it crucified? Is it confident? Would you stand up with me? Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for this great church here. Lord, you, you have taken them on such a journey, oh God. And they are what they are now, crazy Christians, because they said it. They told me that earlier. But Lord, crazy Christians have a character. And Lord, I'm praying right now, specifically, right now, as the Spirit leads, just as he led me this morning to, there are people going through that fire right now. And they need it to hear this word. It's not normal fire. It's like they can't take it. It's like, when is this going to stop? They've been crying out. Lord, I pray you will make it even more obvious that you are there. You're the fourth man in that fire with them. And Lord, there will not be harm, oh God. There's not going to be any chains. The chains are coming off because there's power in the name of Jesus. The chains are coming off. Hallelujah. And so Lord, take off those chains, Lord. Let them not be harmed. Let them grow in you and let their character be refined so that, Lord, they be purified gold before you. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray right now for a new strength to come upon them. I pray the Holy Spirit will make it obvious that Jesus is on their side, that they can tackle whatever this week, be it physical, be it financial, be it emotional, be it relationally. Lord, they're going to fight this fight because, no, Lord, they know they're going to win in the end. So, Lord, I pray that they will rise up and be courageous, Lord. They will rise up and be confident, oh God, because, Lord, if you are for them, who can be against them? So, Lord, have your hand upon every believer here as they go to the fire so that they would come out shining like the sun, the sun of God. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. <laughs>